Welcome to Women of Armor, the podcast, episode two. On this episode, we have such an incredible guest with us, my dear friend, Barbara Johnson. Barbara has been through some major battles, but her positivity, her prayer life, and her willingness to open up really blew me away on this episode and during this conversation. This is Women of Armor. We are walking in Ephesians 6, ready to bring some good news and 100% on your team. Jenny, I just have to remember that I am. You always tell me that. You always say I'm good. I'm good. I just have to remember I'm good. Yeah. Which is yeah. which is so true. It's such a good yeah. way to sit in gratitude. Where are you talking to us from today? I am actually in Detroit, Michigan. I'm at my home in Detroit. Actually, it's Southfield. I live in Southfield, which is a, a su- suburb of uh, Detroit. So, like, Detroit is right across the street. So, I'm in Detroit. <laughs> What's your day look like today besides the podcast? Tell us a little bit about what you do. Um, I am an artist, an interior designer. And so today my day looks like working on samples for clients and um, meeting with uh, architects and builders and showing them those samples and, you know, commissioning work that way. That's one of the things that I do. The other thing that I do, I do have a podcast as well, as you know, um, virtuous living podcast i i do that so i'll be working on that later on today um i have two amazing children and taking care of them you know and just that's what i'm doing today <laughs> so i love that we're going to have this conversation today i um i do want everyone to know that we're not really sure where it's going to go we have Absolutely. some ideas of things we want to talk about but this conversation is, is um, it's another really raw conversation. And I am very interested. I thought about opening with, well, this is how I know Barbara. And this is, our, this has been our friendship. I would love <laughs> to hear, I would love to hear how you tell this story. Well, when I met you, you know, I think, I think we were on a chase for money. Right. We, so we we got involved in a, in a company and um, I'm, I remember picking you up from the airport uh, because you were coming in, into Detroit for this particular company. And we hit it off right at that point. And I realized that the chase that we were on was to make money. But in the end, the real, real reason we connected is because we were chasing God and we were chasing in in different ways. And we had so many similarities, like unbelievable, you know, the new age thing that we were going through and going up the street and down the block around the corner, trying to find, as they would call it, this higher power. And then I think the realization for us both, and I don't know exactly when that came, was that Jesus was the higher power, that Jesus was the chase. And it wasn't the money, it wasn't the company, it wasn't all those other things, but that is the thing that has kept us solid as friends. Well, that's very powerful. Let me ask you, I'm sorry, would you agree with that? Yes, I was getting ready to say, we've (laughs) talked a lot in our phone conversations about how we met and we make jokes about it kind of and all these different wild things that happened. But I've never heard you say it in a way that really summed it up. We went from a new age yeah, and the law of attraction and the universe and all of these things to Jesus. Yeah. And not, not realizing that the law of attraction or, or, or the universe and all this other stuff that God created it all, that God is the creator of the universe. So why would you serve a universe and not serve the God? That's it just it. It didn't make sense. Okay. Okay. So if that wasn't profound enough and telling, we go into a story next about kind of the undoing, what happened next and our very first event together, how we met. And what happened? We had all this food and I mean, it was just, we set it out and it was literally two people that showed up. It was amazing. The, and not to mention the women that were, there were very powerful women. 
um, I mean, spiritually powerful women and had been through a lot and were showing up for themselves. You guys were showing up for each other. We really planned on slaying the day. <laughs> that is such a great illustration of what was happening inside of us at the time. Yeah. Yeah. We were presenting so well. And yeah. the inside of us was due for a major cleanup. Yeah. A major yeah. cleanup. Um, yeah, I remember that we were into, you know, the law of attraction and um, everything that kind of comes with that, which is going to be an entire other episode, because I think it's really important as women who have encountered Jesus to talk about that, what it looks like, how deceptive it can be. And then we had the realization that God created everything. The creator mm -hmm. of the universe created everything. Mm -hmm. And I think what's really um, unbelievable to me about myself is that I had every opportunity to have that realization before then with some very difficult things I went through. Yeah. And I know that you've talked about that. How did I not surrender already? Um, but really, I think you had, and I would love to hear you share um, some of the things that you went through over, you know, the last 30 years that have really made an impact in your faith walk, some of those hardest moments, um, because as my friend, you have ministered to me and you have ministered to me as a mother, as a woman in crisis a woman who has stayed strong and resilient as a businesswoman, all of these, you know, different roles that you stand up to every day, you've really been powerful for me. Well, the first thing that, that pops out is um, my husband and I uh, were having a baby and uh, we'd gotten married. We bought the house and you know, all the things that come with having your first baby and um, in buying the house, we fix up the nursery and, you know, we had the baby shower and all this great stuff. And in my ninth month and anyone that's pregnant or that's been pregnant, you know, that when you go, when you get in your ninth month, you go back and forth to the doctor weekly, you know, so they can monitor you and this, that, and the other. Well, on my visit, um, they didn't hear the baby's heartbeat and they kept taking that little dopper thing. I don't know the correct terminology for it, but I think that's what it's called. And the, the nurse thought maybe the batteries were out. And so she changed the batteries and they come back and there's no heartbeat. And, um, long story short, um, my baby died and, um, I had to sit with that. And it's, and it's weird because they immediately wanted me to leave the doctor's office and go to the hospital and deliver a baby. Now, this is my first baby, so I, 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 don't, I can't conceptualize that. I can't take that in. So I don't go. <laughs> I want to hold on to her just a little bit longer. And, and I don't tell anyone. So I leave the doctor's office and I just come home and I cry. You know, and then I finally, you know, tell my husband and we go through the whole thing. Anyway, we, we get back home after all this is over. And a few weeks later, it wouldn't be two weeks. He stayed home with me for two weeks. Now you got to remember we're in this new house and we have the nursery decorated and all everything that says baby. And I'm okay as long as he's there with me. Right. But he has to go back to work. And so he does. And. One day I'm sitting in the house and I look inside the, the nursery and I just cannot take it. Now, at this point, I am a new ager to the hilt. I'm like, okay, law of attraction. How did I draw this? And blah, 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 blah. But that wasn't working for me because the pain was so huge. It was as if someone had taken a weight and put it on top of my head. And every step I took, I couldn't walk. You know, I just couldn't. And so I knew that particular day I got up and I said, God, if you are real, if you are really, really real, then you have to show yourself to me. 
because I know this day I'm going to die. I know it. I'm going to die spiritually, emotionally, or physically. Death is going to occur. And so the only way that it's not going to occur is if you show yourself to me. And you got to remember we're in a new house, no furniture, you know. So I go downstairs and I sit in my living room on the floor and I'm crying and I'm just crying. Oh my God, show yourself to me. Show me that you are real. I know everyone talks about you and I, I just, and I've grown up in the church. So I know, I mean, I know that God is real. I see my grandmother praying and I, I know, but I don't have a relationship with you. I don't know you. And Jenny, as if I, I'm sitting there and all of a sudden, the top of my house literally came off. That's all I can say. And a light came down on the inside of the house and it was so bright until I couldn't even see the walls. And the warmth of this light embraced me and it held me. And I knew, I knew I was gonna be okay. Like I just, I knew from that point on to right now that no matter what comes in my life, you'll survive because you have Jesus, you have God, you have him. He's inside of you. He's, he's with you. He's walking with you. He's talking to you. He's loving on you. And I got up a changed woman. Now, of course I did still dabble and go back and forth, but I had to remember that all the things, and then it was interesting to me as I, as I began to do other studies, that everything that I studied always referred back to Jesus. But when you study Jesus, he doesn't refer to anyone else. And so for me, that began my true spiritual walk with Jesus Christ. The warmth, the love, the appreciation, the validation that I was seeking, all of that was wrapped into one, it was almost like a sip of life. And so that's one of, one of many stories um, that led me to where I am now. That is so powerful. I've heard you talk about this, but I don't think, um, I've heard you talk about it in a way that really, really tells the story of how far you've come to be able to talk about it that way and what all has occurred, if that makes sense. It does. The, the first thing that I would say is that for me, I, I, I just know that, and I don't think it's just for me, I think it's just a, a way that it is, that even every time that you're in the deepest, darkest hour, there's always going to be a woman that's going to come to save you. Men don't, they, and I love men, so this is not a male bashing thing, but they don't know how to connect emotionally. And there was this woman, at the time I was a hairstylist, I was a stylist, and one of my clients had a cousin who had lost her daughter and her daughter's name was Crystal. And she lost her daughter very much the same way, you know, I had, but her, I think her baby lived for like three days. And this woman lived in California and every single day, not one day, but every single day for one year, she called me. And I never met her. I just talked to her on the phone and we would cry together and, you know, just, get through it and because people that have not experienced that they oh well you'll have another baby yeah but I won't have that baby you know I was angry and um, I didn't know how to deal with the anger I didn't know how to deal with the loss I didn't know how to deal with the hurt I was um, disappointed I felt like I had done something wrong I felt like you know, well, maybe you stood up too long. Maybe I went through all of those things of what I had done wrong. And so I had to first, first forgive myself. And then I had to ask God for forgiveness. I felt like I did for anything that I may have done or didn't do. You know, I had to, that was huge for me. Um, 
and then just walking through it. The pain is the healing because here I am now on the other side of that talking this way. I had no idea that um, this would be a testimony for someone else later in life. And actually, I didn't even care. I don't care about anybody else. I, did, I just didn't care because the pain was so huge for me until I couldn't only see my pain. I wasn't interested in being a, a savior, if you would, of other women that would experience this. But one of the things that I, that I remember so vividly, and this may be a little candid, and if it is, I, I apologize, but I'm, you know me, I'm just authentically who I am. No one ever told me that, because this is my first baby, so no one ever told me that when you, um, when you have a baby and, you, and even if the baby dies, the body doesn't know that. So the first thing that happened was that my, my breast filled up with milk and, it, and, and I have large breasts already. Um, so they became huge and engorged. And I didn't know what to do with that. And I could hear the whisper of God. Now, at this point, I'm, I'm walking on my journey, but I could hear, hear El Shaddai. El Shaddai. What is El Shaddai? El Shaddai? Then I go to church, and they're talking about El Shaddai, and, his, and, and God is the breasted one. That thing almost threw me on the floor. Because even though I was in this pain with all of this milk engorged and I was saddened by it and hurt by it, he was the breasted one that I could still lay my head there and be wrapped in it and, and contained. So every single step along the way was God showing himself to me. That, that's how I got through it. That is how, but I was open and I was receptive because I needed something stronger than myself. And I started to pray for other people. I'm like, oh my God, how do people get through this if they don't know God? How do they get, th there's no way that you can get through it. There's no human way. Now you may think you're getting through it, but it's there, you know, it, it's there and it will show up in other places if you don't really deal with it. And my dealing with it was to take it to God and allow him to reign on me uh, and, and become extremely vulnerable and saddened. You know, I was, I, I was just a, a ball of mess. I was, I think I was 28 at the time. And, um, walking this journey alone, even though I had people around me because all everyone around me had their children or didn't, you know, have children. So they could not relate. And, um, yeah, that's, that's it. This is probably the most moving conversation that we've ever had. And we've had some really moving conversations. I don't think you were too candid at all because that's what we're trying to, to do is talk about the, the hard things, you know? I think a lot of times it's very easy to say, well, this is my testimony of what happened. And we don't really get into the meat of it because it sounds off color, you know? It's not polished. Barbara dealt with some pretty incredible things. And when she shared this story, I was truly overwhelmed. So then we moved into how all of these things that she experienced with the loss of her first child have impacted her as a mother now. Experience This deep pain affected your motherhood and also just how you've raised these amazing girls, these women. Well, there's, there's, there's absolutely no blueprint to raising children as, as we know. And as perfect as you present that. And I love that you said that there've been ups and downs and peaks and valleys because no child is actually the same. And so the same rules don't always apply. Now they're 25 and 20. And so, um, but, uh, there was a young lady during the time that I had lost, uh, my, my first daughter that came to my house who was a minister. Her name was Denise. 
and she prayed and, and she was praying at my kitchen uh, window and she was looking out the window and you could see that God was like all over her. And she turned around to me so fiercely and looked at me and she said, God said that you will have two more children. She just spoke a prophetic word into my life and they will be amazing children and blah, blah, blah. And she just went on and on and on. And I remember when my oldest daughter was born, hearing her cry. My husband and I looked at each other and we're like, oh my gosh, she's crying. She's crying because it, just to hear her cry because, uh, you know, the first delivery was silence and silence is very, very loud when you need to hear a cry, you know? And so I re just remember saying, God, you know, if you bless me with children that I will really, really take care of them and um, guide them to the best of my ability. And I will give them, they're yours. Show me what to do, show me how to be. And so it was important to me to always feed into them and to tell them that they were beautiful and to tell them that they were strong. But it was also important to me to instill in them the importance of authority. Um, and we, you and I have talked about this. I never really got upset about bad grades because stuff happens, right? But they got in a lot of, I got into them when it came became uh, disrespectful to your teacher or disrespectful to anyone that was in authority over you. That's biblically uh, sound. That was important to me. It was, oh no, you will not talk back and you will not be disrespectful. We're not gonna have it. And that was just it, period. Well, I didn't realize that that trait that I was putting in them as, as young children would be something that they would carry to this day. People always say, your kids are so polite. And, and I, I, I say to them, not being disrespectful, I say it was deliberate. It didn't just happen. There was a lot of energy that went into that. Um, and from there, having that respect for themselves allowed them to have respect for others and to speak their truth. Like I've always told them to speak their truth. Now, sometimes that would backfire because as children, sometimes you don't always know, but you know your truth, even though you're a child. And so I would learn how to take their truth and make it palatable for whatever the situation was. Um, and it's a weird balance with that because a lot of my mother was like, oh my goodness, these kids, they have opinions. Yeah, because we didn't as as children. You were seen and not heard. You just did what was told and that was that. And I was like, you know, when I have my kids, I'm not doing that. And so as a result, I mean, you know, we can ramble on and on about our kids. Um, that's that's where they are. They're, I'm sound. I'm very sound in the decisions that they make. I, I am. I don't, I trust them and um, they trust me. And so we have that. It didn't always have that because as time goes on, things happen and it falls by the wayside, but we were able to pick it back up, clean it off, put it back together and build this trust. And I should say this, Jenny, I am always available for my children. You know, if I'm talking to you and my, my girls call, I got to call you back. I'm all, I wasn't always that way because I was always working and doing this, that, and the other. But I realized that the days are very, very short, long. I'm sorry, the days are long, but the years are short. And so you don't get that time back while you're working and doing all of these other things. And so I'm not saying don't work because we all have to work and do what we have to do but make them a priority because it's worth it. It's definitely worth it. I um, have learned a lot from you about motherhood and being encouraging to my, my children, especially my daughter. Um, I, I want to echo a few things that you said, and I want to, I want to kind of start with uh, how you mentioned that they are sound that they have become sound in themselves. I have been reading this book, The Esther Anointing, Becoming a Woman of Prayer, Courage, and Influence by Michelle McLean Walters. I encourage everyone to read this book. If you're a woman of faith who is um, 
walking through anything hard, whether it's self-inflicted or otherwise, or a trauma you're trying to overcome, or you can't forgive yourself, whatever it is, this book is, is really powerful. It's short. And one of the things that she does in here, she has declarations and prayers to heal trauma and activate a spirit of triumph. They're literally declarations over your life that you're just saying are true because they are prayers. One of the ones I was reading this morning, and we, you say it out loud, of course, says, I am a woman who has mental, emotional, and spiritual fortitude. Mm. New strength is arising within me. And that hit me pretty hard, kind of between the eyes, because I've not always been that. You know, I've, I, I'll hit my knees and cry out to, to the Lord and cry out to God and uh, in my darkest moments. But I have not always walked <laughs> with a mental, emotional, and spiritual fortitude. <laughs> um, <laughs> coming up upon 40, <laughs> coming up upon 40 and having created a million messes of my own, I'm getting there because I've been convicted to that place. Who's trying to follow a Christian or a follower of Jesus who's not walking with a mental, emotional, and spiritual fortitude? <laughs> right. I always call it, I call it the, um, you know, I, I think you've heard me say this. It was like, well, how, what's going on? Well, I'm over here on the treadmill. I have an UG on and a stiletto and I'm trying to run. And it's, it's <laughs> so, like, I'm so, you know, I, I think we just, that's just the way that it is. But like you said, that mental state and that, that fortitude, that's everything. It's, it's everything. everything. It's everything. I did not have that. I mean, this has been a, I mean, when I tell you it's been a, a decades long battle for me to develop that, it first came with owning my own stuff. And seeing where I was allowing myself to be somebody I wouldn't even accept. What does that look like? What does that mean? You said you, you, had, you had allowed yourself to come, become someone that you wouldn't accept. I would be easily dismantled by my own confusion. Easily dismantled. Um, by my own not knowing, I became an indecisive person. And I also felt very undeserving of love. Mm. Um, some of that because of my own shame and self-infliction, decisions, choices. And I would allow that to dismantle me. I, I don't really know how else to say that. It was like, I, I don't have what it takes to get mm. up. I don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes to face myself, my past, my life. And very recently, uh, really just before this podcast was launched, something happened in my life that really uh, brought me to my knees. I think there are two camps of women who follow Jesus. The first camp is women who meet him in the floor, they get up and they never go back down. The second camp is the ones who meet him and we're, we are long learners. You know, this uh, platform is not some place to just talk about life. This is really a place to encounter each other. Absolutely. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is because we can have this kind of conversation. All the time. There are not a lot of people you can have this kind of conversation with. And we're trying to bring in more. Women need to know who don't know 
or who have forgotten, who have forgotten themselves or don't feel worthy, there is nothing you have to do. That love is, it, it, there's nothing like it. It is nothing. the love that takes the roof off a house. Mm -hmm. There's also a generational thing happening. We did talk about this last week a little bit. Um, Barbara has a podcast of her own, Virtuous Living, which is very powerful. That's really about living well. Uh, yeah. living spiritually sound. Is that how you would share that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I encourage you, we'll put the link on our website and then a link uh, within this podcast as well, because I really would love it if, if everyone would, li would listen to it, it will encourage you. It will enlighten you. It's, it's awesome. And last week or a couple of weeks ago, you did a podcast spontaneously with your oldest daughter. Yeah. I loved it. And I'll tell you one of the things I loved about it is that it was so uh, descriptive and illustrative of the generation of women and girls coming up behind us. Mm -hmm. There is a knowing in them of who they are in God that I just did not have. Right. One of the things that your oldest daughter said in this podcast, I would love for you to talk about this. She said, I want to, in so many words, she said, I want to take care and work through whatever I need to do. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to have to deal with what my mom dealt with. Well, she, yeah, she did say, she's like, I don't want to end up like you basically. Um, and be, because they, they see the struggles, they see, they see everything. And, 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 and your children, oftentimes we, we tell them what to do, but really they do what you do. And so she saw me giving so much of myself away. And so she said, mm -mm, no, not, no, I'm not doing that. And so in that generation, that particular generation, they, they seem selfish and, and seem self-absorbed. But if you listen closely, you'll see that they're just trying to guard themselves and protect themselves and not give themselves away. Um, and what I mean by that is just always being, you know, th there was um, my my youngest daughter and I had a conversation about um, one of her young friends at, at school. And, you know, she's this girl is so pretty and she's so this and she's that and, you know, and she's so nice and she's so nice. And but her boyfriend is not nice. He's just he treats her bad. I said that's because she doesn't know her worth. And she suffers from the disease to please. And I say to her, Nima, and you know how I know that? She's like, I know, because you've experienced it. Yeah, because I've experienced it. And I, I don't think that this particular generation suffers from that. I think that that's, you know, there are people that do, but overall, they, like you said, the veil is real thin. They have a knowing and they know from watching their mother which, which we are the first teachers, um, they know, no, I don't want that. And they don't know how they get to that. But for, for my daughter, my oldest, Maya, she decided to seek counseling to find out her stuff, why she does what she does. We didn't we didn't have that. I'm older than you, Jenny, but I, that wasn't encouraged. And I think through watching your mother, you know, mess up as I did um, on many occasions or do certain things, basically for myself, I always kind of felt like I was there for my children, but I didn't show up for myself. And so by not showing up for myself, that was something that they picked up on, oh, we, we'll never do that. So they show up all the time for themselves. I, now, I didn't know that that's what I was doing, but as you sit down and you have conversations with your children as they become adults, you realize that you miss certain things. And that was one of the things that I missed is to honor and take care of myself. They got it spot on. Okay, so that's pretty, that's pretty powerful. And I'll tell you what, it's true. I'm noticing that in my, I'm not noticing, it's, it just is. My daughter is 12. And 
when I say, Hey, why don't you do this? Or Hey, make suggestions kind of for her life <laughs> at 12. She doesn't say this, what I'm about to tell you. She doesn't say it to me in defiance. She says it to me in confidence, in her own confidence, in her own knowing. She'll say, I don't want to do that. That's not for me. Yeah. That's or what she'll I'm say, about. yes. Or she'll say, I'm not you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or she'll say, I'm never going to be you. I love you, but I'm me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't think she's read this in a book. Yeah, no, it's, there's a knowing. There is a knowing. And I want to give ourselves some credit too here. Our daughters are given a space for being themselves that we did not experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when I look at these different generations, the generation that I was raised by was you just do it. Yeah. You don't complain. You don't talk about it. There's, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with that teaching. No. It's just, what do you do after that? That I didn't right. understand. Right. right. <laughs> okay. Right. I just do it and I don't talk about it. So what did I do? I either didn't do it and talked a lot about that. Um, or I did it and didn't know what to do with what I wasn't talking about. Yeah. And it created in me a really great lesson. I mean, there's no victimhood in that. It, it created in me a lesson of how to get where I am now. Mm -hmm. um, there's, a, there's something very powerful in the fact that we came from the first generation of women who went out and worked and a whole generation of them. And if they didn't, they were holding the line as some of the last standing women who took care of their home as their job. So there was a huge transition in that generation. And it is really incredible to look at each one of these generations, the one ahead of us, ours, and the ones coming up and see the strength in all of them, but how different that strength looks. Mm -hmm. I think it's taking our daughters less time to know themselves. Like I said, I feel like the veil is thin. Um, and by veil, for those listening who don't know what we're, what we're speaking of when we say the veil, we believe that when we come to earth as the soul that God's made us, there's a veil between earth and heaven, or yeah, between earth and heaven, the spirit realm, and the earth realm. And that veil, as you get closer to God, thins out. What I'm talking about, and this is a conversation a lot of Christian women are having, is that the veil is thin thinner than it's been in a long time. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the passion and the authenticity of our daughters is thinning it for us as well. Mm -hmm. So where would you encourage a mother um, who has been through the loss of a child? And how would you encourage a mother who is working on her relationship with her own children, her own daughters, and raising them up in that kind of fortitude? I, I would say, um, be true to thyself. Don't serve them something that you wouldn't eat yourself, you know, basically. Um, that's been a huge thing. You, you have to, you have to, it, it is imperative that you honor and take care of yourself. Even during the loss of a child. Um, and to make sure, because they're watching you, you know, that your children are watching you. So you can't tell them, you know, because I said so, those days are gone. <laughs> because they, they have the internet and they have social media, which is, which is huge. And we talked about that uh, on the, on the podcast with, this entire generation of um, um, dealing with self-image because of the internet. But I would definitely say to take care of yourself, to honor yourself and to connect with God and let God downpour everything that you need to reach out to your children because his way is the best way. Um, and, 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 and that's easier said than done because a lot of times 
we are, we become products of what we come from, but you got to pay attention. And in order to pay attention to them, you have to really pay attention to yourself because they're watching you. I don't know if I answered that question. Um, you totally did. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. It's either, it's either inherent um, or it's not. And if it is, you foster it, you create space for it. If it isn't, you help create it. Yes. I think is what you're saying. And that yes. takes a lot of work in ourselves to be able to do it. Yes. Um, okay. So a couple of things before we wrap up. The first thing is, I feel like we've touched on so much. We're going to need a follow-up at some point. <laughs> <laughs> it's just too good. I, I do want to want to touch on um, at in a subsequent episode, some of the things we started talking about, about our about this journey of faith and going back and forth from um, new age to Jesus and just being chased down by God to be able to experience the truth. But one thing before we go that I think is really important to touch on is something we talked about yesterday. And that is, you have been an incredible mentor to me as a friend in my spiritual walk. You have just always encouraged me. You've always spoken life into me. Even whenever I fall off the planet for five months and you said, why, why are you trying to break up with me? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like that crazy boyfriend. I'm not going anywhere. I'm in the bushes, okay? <laughs> Why but I've done it, but I've done it to you too. Like, where have you been? Hello. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, eventually we always just come back right where we left off, fill each other in, but it always ends in a God conversation. Mm -hmm. Every time. Yeah. It's like, we're filling each other in on what we've been through, what we've done, the whole, the whole gamut. Mm -hmm. um, and then it's, but, but God. Mm -hmm. Girl, how you doing it, God? Mm -hmm. How'd you forgive yourself this time, God? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How'd you hold up that lamp, God? Yes. How'd you pay that bill, God? God. How'd you get that money, God? God. <laughs> but I do want to touch on something that we don't talk about because I think that it is hard or uncomfortable to talk about issues that seem racial when they're really not. They're more cultural. And that is, there is a spiritual grit in the, in the African-American uh, female community that is like, I've never seen, like I've never, I've never seen. And it, it just takes over the room. It's quiet at first, but then it just takes you out, you know? I wonder if you could share where that comes from. Do you agree, first of all? And uh, where does that come from? Well, I, I can't say that I agree or disagree. It's just an is. Um, and I think that I, I, I never really noticed it because I am it, you know? It's like being inside of a jar, you don't really you know, you're in it. So you don't recognize the inness, you know, but when you said that to me, I thought about it and I was like, that, that comes from trauma and that comes from pain. And there's a knowing that, um, you just know that God is. And so we, um, as, as a group, um, as a group of black women and, and, women of color um especially and it's and it's this is going to sound really bad and i don't mean it to sound this way I, I think it's profound to say um nobody wants to be us nobody nobody wants to be black right um because of all the stigmas and things or whatever i mean but we as black women know our worth and know our strength. And we know that it comes from God. 
Um, because the minute we speak out, you know, oh, she's so loud, she's so this, she's so that. But when you hear that, that's trauma and that's pain. And we know that the only, the only solution for us is God. So you may hear it quietly in the room in the beginning. But as time goes on, there's a strength and there's an overwhelmingness, if you will, that will overtake you and it's the spirit of God. And so we express it loudly and we express it quietly. We express it peacefully and we express it joyously in a way that may not be comprehensible to other races, which is really unbelievable that we're having this conversation because I never looked at it that way. You know, you're just doing it. You don't realize that there is a, there's a cadence to it. You don't realize it because of the trauma. And it's, it, and I spoke to you with this, it, 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 that's our resting place because everywhere else you are ridiculed or you are put down in a way that is sometimes blatant and sometimes very subtle, but we know what that is. And so under the arms of Jesus and, 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 and fellowshipping, there's a, there's a, a resting place. And I think that that's what you um, may be referring to. Yeah, it is. And that, that was a beautiful way to say that. It is. Um, and it is a reverence that takes over a building. Yeah. My, um, my Italian grandmother, she's 95. She is just a full-blooded Italian. <laughs> and the candles she has lit, the, she believes candles are prayers. The candles she has lit, the rosary she has prayed, um, every genre of faith of women who have experienced deep hardship and been forced into that place where only God can fill. There's mm -hmm. a reverence created and I think it comes very naturally within the African-American culture. And that's really what I was, you know, asking. And you, you, you absolutely answered that. You know, and it's interesting. I'm, I, I don't mean to cut you off. It's please. interesting that you noticed that, you know, like when you said that to me, I, 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 I was taken aback by that. Um, because I, I actually thought about it afterwards. And I, I was like, I think she's right. I mean, because I started thinking about, you know, women, black women that, that have prayed for me. There are some sisters that can pray the roof off of a building. Um, and, 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 and the strength that comes with that. But I never related it as a black thing. And I'm not saying that this is, a, we're not saying that it's a racial thing, but but when you said that, I'm like, wow, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty deep. It's pretty interesting. Why is that? And that is my recollection as, as to why it is that way. It's because mm -hmm. of the past traumas and the things that our ancestors actually experienced. And each generation brings it a different way. Do you know what I mean? Like each generation has a, there are some young ladies that I kind of follow on Instagram. These girls are like in their twenties and thirties. And the way that they deliver the message of Jesus is, is so profound in this era, but I get it. Do you know what I mean? So there's, there's, a, it's just a difference with the things that you have experienced as to how your prayer life shows up. Okay, so that's a whole episode. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, that's a that's a whole episode. How what you've experienced, how it affects your prayer life, yeah. how your prayer life shows up. Yeah, that's very powerful. Um, well, we have covered a lot in an hour, and there's so much here to unpack. I want to be really careful and just really give a disclaimer here that when we have these conversations. 
um, I, I don't want anyone to assume that what we've said is all we believe. You know? <laughs> I love that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it's do. real easy to start the comment thread of, well, they didn't cover this and that wasn't how that was, you know, portrayed. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not all that we believe. It's, it's the, it's the surface of the stories and we want to dig deeper into those. Um, that's one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast because these conversations really matter and they listen and they, I, I want them to be able to start conversations all over the place. I have like this vision in my mind about um, someone listening to this, assuming women are listening to it and these really deep spiritual chatters that start in all these places all over the world. And they're all breaking into the spirit realm because we're breaking into things that create power in us through Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what we're trying to be about. I mean, when you've been salvaged by the savior of the world, after you've done everything you can to destroy your own life, mm. you just can't go back. Mm. Because that kind of love is what we have to work on possessing in each other. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate you being that kind of friend to me. I appreciate you talking to me after uh, political disagreements, after elections, <laughs> after after five months of no phone calls I appreciate you picking up where we left off because you know my heart and I know yours deeply it is it's beautiful and I'm very grateful for this friendship I too I feel the exact same way I really do Mm -hmm. I love you and I um, appreciate you inviting me on your wonderful wonderful podcast I think what you're doing is amazing I I think it will touch and reach so many people. And I'm so proud of you, as I always am. You always come back and reinvent yourself over and over. (laughs) Well, listen, I am going to link. uh, One of the things on womenofarmor.com is going to be a library where we we link, you know, all of the things from any anybody that's on the show and then great books and um, messages videos, all kinds of stuff, things that we reference here so that women who listen can go find that and be encouraged by it. So I want to, I'm going to, I'll be linking to virtuous living podcast, Barbara's podcast on the library. And there were a few other things we touched on, um, including the Esther anointing by Michelle McLean Walters. And then, um, I'm going to invite Barbara, if there's anything that she feels, uh, compelled to share, uh, we can link that there too. So Barbara, I love you. I'm so grateful for this friendship. Thank you so much. And we will talk to you soon. Thank you for joining us for episode two, the Women of Armor podcast. That was very compelling and moving from my dear friend, Barbara Johnson. Until next time, walking in the whole armor of God, Ephesians 6. This is Women of Armor.